0: Guys, happy Groundhog Day. Let's, let's acknowledge why we're here tonight. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> Welcome to RUF. It's really good to be with you guys um, on this dark February eve. I'm glad you could make it out. Um, we are, this semester in UF. every week we're looking at a different passage from the Bible, and this semester we're focusing on the book of Genesis, this first book of the Bible, uh, and the story, this book that really we believe makes sense of life in our world. And you know, some of the stuff that we look at, especially in these first few chapters of Genesis, uh, to modern ears, seem kind of strange. I think you might find that, and uh, what I, you know, and that's totally fine if you find it strange. But what I hope you'll find is that. Uh, This is a story that ultimately makes sense of what it looks like and what it feels like to live life in our world. Um, And our goal is to kind of, you know, look at the story and translate it into our own experience and uh, make sense of life. And so uh, we're looking today at one of the most important chapters in the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 3. This is the account of Adam and Eve and what's called their fall in the garden of eden and so let me read it for us and then uh, we'll spend just a little time thinking about it together so uh genesis 3 i called this this is called the terrible lie now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the lord god had made he said to the woman did god actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave me, to, gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. This is on, like, I think three slides. I'm sorry. (laughs) I can't remember. Okay. Um, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply, multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You, your desire shall be for your husband, and he, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife... And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, It's a sad story, uh, but one with great hope in it that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, as we come to this text, uh, we thank you for it. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, and we pray that we would know more of you uh, through looking at it tonight. We pray that you'd give us your spirit to change our hearts. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, I mean, a lot of you know we have RUF kind of like parties and gatherings at our house a lot, and a few years ago, uh, me, Maggie, and I were kind of at our house getting ready for a bunch of students like you to come over, and like we normally, you know, there's often like Christmas lights strung up in some form or fashion when we have people over, and, and we were, there's often like bowls of snacks and food and stuff, and so that was the case that night, and... Um, and what happened was that a cabinet... There were some lights strung up along some cabinets. And a cabinet door closed. Smashing a Christmas light. And underneath was this like huge bowl of chips that we had gotten for the night. And we had this dilemma, right? It's like a light shattered. Like a small light shattered in, somewhere into this bowl. Like huge bowl of chips. And we were like, well... You know, there was a moment where we were like, can we put a sign out that says, like, there may be broken glass in these chips. And, you care? and then we're like, no, like, the bowl is ruined. Like, we're not going to tell people to pick shards of glass out of. And so we threw out all the chips. Um, very sad, right? It was, like, really big. And uh, uneatable, uneed- un- inedible because of what had happened. You know, the small thing that had happened. Um, we live in a world because of this text that we read that is not the way it's supposed to be. And the reason for that is for something that seems on the surface to be small. In the same way that, you know, like this, this is a bowl of chips and it's a tiny light, but this bowl of chips went from being like a delicious bowl of chips to like essentially a death trap for anyone who ate them. And in the same way, this in the midst of this text, our world goes from being this peaceful, wondrous, vibrant, amazing place that we've been looking at for the last two weeks to a world that can be very scary and very sad. And it happens just like that. And unlike the broken glass in the bowl, sin seems, the sin that's introduced in this text seems to multiply continuously. You know, it's not just that, one kid brings a gun to school one day, right? As awful as that is. The thing is that when that happens, there's about a thousand other kids out there that are like, you know, that's not a bad idea. I might do that too, right? Or it's not just that someone told a lie and that's the end of the story. It's that someone told a lie and now I can't really trust anything that anyone says anymore, right? Because I know that you might be lying. The Bible teaches emphatically that the world is sad and it's not sad and lonely and scary in and of itself it's not it's not because the world is bad what we've looked at the last 2 weeks in Genesis 1 and 2 is how good the world is that God created but what the Bible teaches is that our world is sad and lonely and scary because there is an intruder interrupting the goodness distorting the goodness and that intruder's name is sin and sin is introduced uh, for the first time in this passage, and so we 're going to just spend tonight thinking about sin and and we 're going to look at it in three ways we 're going to look at the essence of sin, and then we 're going to look at the effect of sin and then finally, since I wanted to use all words that started with e we 're going to look at the end of sin, so the essence of sin, the effect, and the end uh, so first of all um, let 's talk about the essence of sin uh, at, this, at the onset of this passage. Uh, Adam and Eve live in a good garden, right? It's just like the creation of God's creation is overwhelmingly good in Genesis chapters one and two, and God's given them this garden to tend, and he's given them one, last week we saw it, one instruction, which is that there's one tree in the garden that they're not supposed to eat of, right? It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God says, don't eat of it, for you'll surely die right and it's just this wonderful existence in the garden and uh introduced now at the beginning of this text is a serpent and uh, just kind of off the bat like serpents don't talk usually Uh, then like ancient people knew that and so when we see the serpent talking at the beginning of this text we, we should immediately see like there is a there is a power at work in this serpent like something is going on that's not good already and the serpent says to the woman and I hope you you, we really need to catch this okay the serpent goes up to the woman and he's like so did God say you can't eat of any of the trees and what's he doing he's already trying to deceive her right he's exaggerating God's word you know he's God said there's one tree you can't eat from and Satan's like you can't eat from any of these trees like what the heck and you know, what's behind that question is, like, who is this guy? Like, who is God? Who does he think he is to tell you? You can't, like, he's, he's being so stingy. And what we see kind of right away is that the woman is already being led astray because she also exaggerates God's word, right? She says, no, there's only one tree, but we're, he said not to eat it or touch it, which God didn't say. So she's, the serpent's kind of, like, got her already. She's already distorting God's words, too. And, you know, essentially what the serpent's doing is calling God a liar. Uh, he's, what, he, what he's implying is God's withholding from you. Like, God doesn't want you to be happy. I mean, he's essentially saying, you, you should be God. You should, you should decide where you eat. You should run your life. You should decide. And what we need to see today is that that's what the essence of sin is. The essence of sin is you You decide. When we think of sin, we often think of sins, right? Sins like, say, what are the big ones, right? Drunkenness, or lying, or murder, or stealing, or cheating, all those things which are bad, right? But what this is saying is that underneath all those sins is this idea of sin. It's this disposition that we all inherit because of this story which says, God doesn't love me. He doesn't want me to be happy. It's up to me now. I'm God all decide how to live because he can't be trusted and if you've been here the last couple weeks then you know how enormous that lie actually is right like what we've seen over and over again is that god creates because he's a lover and because he's good and everything that he created is this amazingly good gift and in the first two chapters of the bible there's just not even a hint that god could be anything but a good and faithful lover um this is something I think about now having kids, like, you know, Margot was here, a lot of you saw her before, and before RUF started, and she's like so cute at this stage, and like, you know, mommy is her favorite person, daddy is her second favorite person, and you know, it's just this wonderful, like, stage where we're just, you know, like, Margot thinks we're awesome. And you know, and it's kind of, its a little bit bittersweet because we know there will come a day, like the teenage years, where that will change, and it'll be like, "Oh, mom and dad are idiots, and they don't know what's good for me." And you know, and I—I'm and already kind of like fast-forwarding and being like, "Oh, I wish she could know like how deeply we love her, you know, how we would die for her. Like, like it wouldn't even be a thought, you know. And we want that teenage Margot to know that." Even today, and you know, because we, me and Maggie, were both teenagers once. Like we know that that's that's coming, you know, and you know, it's essentially it's a picture of what we do with God, Um, and that's this is that's what the essence of sin is. It's believing God, God is not for me. God is not. He doesn't love me. He's holding out on me, and what that means is that the worst sin is not sexual sin. The worst sin is not murder. The worst sin, the most despicable thing you could ever do is believe this lie. It is to believe that God doesn't love you and want you to be happy. Or, you know, in other words, to believe that his rules are meant to restrict you rather than to set you free and give you life. And so that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden on this day, and that's the kind of people we are as a result. Um, and so, really important point our world isn't really what's scary then right we are what's scary like when we believe the lie we become scary and everything falls apart because of it so that's the essence but i want to move on now to the effects of sin um and in this text it says you know once they eat of the fruit it says that their eyes are opened and they know that they're naked and they make covering. All right, this is in contrast to the end of Genesis 2 last week that we looked at, where it said they were naked and unashamed. And now, shame. Uh, so much so that when they hear the sound of God walking toward them, you know, they hide. Think about that. God's walking toward them. Why would God walk, walk toward them? Probably because like, that's what they did. They hung out with God in the garden and walked together and they liked it and he, God liked it and now they're hiding, you know this time when they hear God coming they just run and hide and shame, what shame is is really that feeling that we all have that makes us want to run and hide I want us to think for a second about the ridiculousness of trying to hide from God, right? Like He's God. He sees everything. He knows everything. And here are Adam and Eve like hiding behind a tree or something, like how ridiculous is that? But that's kind of the point, right? Like disobeying God makes you do ridiculous things. It makes people do stupid things that don't make sense. It makes us do stupid things. It makes us do things that don't make sense. Like, you know, we tried something, it was horrible, you know, I did that awful thing. I'm never gonna do it again. Next week, next month, next year, I did it again. Doesn't make sense, right? Um, You know, it makes us do things like running from God when he's the only one who can help us instead of running to him. Something that we all do. Um, And so, in their souls, you know, God said you will surely die. And in their souls, they have surely died like life is not even close to what it once was as they sit here like hiding behind a tree from the god that loves them Uh, i I think i've shared this story with a few of you before Um, when i was a freshman in college after my freshman year i worked at a summer camp and there was a boy in my cabin who pooped in his pants on the first day of camp and uh you know like You're, like, seven years old. The absolute worst thing that can happen to you is you poop in your pants on the first day. Uh, You don't really know anyone yet. And, like, if you're, like, nothing, you just want to, like, it's over when that happens. And, you know, I'm, like, a freshman in college. I don't really understand, like, little kids. And, you know, I suspect that something's up. But I'm, like, you probably handled it, you know, which was a false. I should not have assumed that. (laughs) Because at the end of camp, on the last day, after our cabin started to smell worse and worse, what I discovered and realized is that on that first day, the way he dealt with it, the way he handled it, was just to remove his underwear and just place it under his bed and sleep on top of it the whole week. The whole, it was 10 days that he did that. And, you know, like, you think about his name was Hal. I'll always remember Hal. And... <laughs> think about how, for, put yourself in Hal's shoes for a second, right? Like, we all understand how, right? Like, we don't need to be like, why would he do that? Like, it's totally obvious why he did that, because like, if you poop in your pants and you're a kid at camp, like, life is over for you. That's that's what's going on in your head, right? Um, you probably don't do that anymore. I hope you don't do stuff like that anymore. But I'm sure you can relate. And maybe instead of hiding your poop under your bed or hiding from God behind a tree. Maybe what you do is that you've become a perfectionist, which is just as foolish. Or maybe you've become a defeated perfectionist. Do you know what a defeated perfectionist is? It's someone who is a perfectionist, but they've given up on it, but they always just feel bad about themselves like perpetually. It's being driven by the same thing. It's just like you know, a different form of it. Uh, maybe you're someone who always has to be right. Maybe you have some way of kind of like numbing the feelings away through something like sex or through alcohol or maybe through distractions like social media. All those things are just as foolish as doing what Adam and Eve do in this story or what Hal did in the other story. Uh, There's an author, a counselor that I really like a lot. His name is Dan Allender. And listen to what he says about shame. He says, the dread of being found out like we were talking about earlier. The dread of being found out is sufficient to fuel radical denial, workaholism, perfectionism, re-victimization, and a host of other ills. But the fear is greater than simply losing relationship. It is the terror that if our dark soul is discovered, we will never be enjoyed, nor desired, nor pursued by anyone. And so that's the effect of sin, right? That's what's going on in the story, with the shame in the story. But would the sin and the shame also lead to his disconnection? And it leads to disconnection from God, as we see in the story, and it leads uh, to disconnection from others that we also see in the story. You know, look at when God kind of questions Adam and Eve about what they've done. You know, if Adam first is like, the woman you gave me gave this to me. And when he asks Eve what she's done, he, she says, the serpent deceived me. And it's just, they're all disconnecting from each other. Uh, they make coverings for themselves so they can't be seen, so they can't be known. They're sitting here hiding from the God who loves them and made them. Uh, in verse 16, it talks about uh, there's this thing that God says, and He says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And it's a way of saying, all relationships from now on are going to be so difficult for this because of this and marriage is going to be next to impossible because of sin all relationships are going to fall apart because sin is now here you know i don't know if you guys know this but marriage is really hard it's because we're all sinners um we talked at length last week, if you were here, we talked about how we're made for relationship and how we're made to be known and loved. But sin and the way we deal with it just makes that like almost impossible. Um, you know, think about your relationships for a minute. Are you at all dissatisfied with the relationships and the friendships that you have? Um, the reason that they're not, the reason that your relationships are bad is because of this it's because you and everyone else is hiding. We're all hiding from each other. So that's an, another effect of sin. But, you know, the ultimate effect of sin that we see in this passage is death. This, this is a world where death did not yet exist, and now death is introduced. And it says the ground is cursed, which means that work is now difficult. So we were created to do good work, like we talked about last week, and now it's difficult. When we toil at it. Uh, family building becomes difficult. And the ultimate tragedy is that one day when Adam will die, he will turn to dust. Something that was never supposed to happen, death, will now happen. And instead of being this place of flourishing, what we have is this picture of just sadness. And we all feel it, don't we? In our world today... Uh, there's this myth about being a christian that like oh if you're a christian just put on a happy face and be happy all the time and you're never allowed to be sad but really what this is saying is that if you're a christian like you above all people should be sad because you believe in this story that tells us that the world was once this perfect and joyful place and now this has happened now our world is sad uh, we, we of all people should know how much this life should be about flourishing, and we should mourn how it's difficult and sad. Uh, but thankfully, the effects of sin are not the end of the story. And that's, this is where I want to close. Uh, the sadness is not the end of the story. We have to look a little closely to see that. Um, and so we're going to look at the end of sin. And I want you to, how does God react? Think about this story. How does God react to the betrayal, the rebellion that he's just witnessed? He just blows everything up and kills them, right? No. He starts by drawing near to them. And he starts by asking them this question, where are you? Why does he say that, right? He knows where they are. Why does he ask a question like that? It's because he's gently drawing them in. He's gently drawing them back to him. He uh, goes on to say that he, makes, he goes so far as to make clothing for them, something that would be sturdier than like whatever leaves they had sewn together for themselves. And the culmination is in verse 15, when God talks about this serpent. Uh, he makes this promise about the serpent. He says that from now on, there's going to be this struggle between Good and evil that will culminate in the offspring of this woman defeating the offspring of this serpent, right? It says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Think about that for a second. Who is he in this? Like it's talking about the offspring of the woman doing battle with the offspring of the serpent, and it introduces this person, he. And the answer to who he is, and this is amazing considering how long ago this was written is that he's talking about Jesus even in Genesis chapter 3 who's you know who's the person who defeated the offspring of the serpent and was wounded in the process it was Jesus he's already hinting at the saving work of Jesus on the worst and most offensive day in human history God's already thinking How can I save them? How can I draw them back to me? And, you know, when we know this is true, you know, because later when Jesus does show up, what's the first thing he does? He goes off to be tempted. Right? He goes off to be tempted by Satan, except unlike Adam, Jesus withstands the temptation. And then he goes off in the world to do ministry, and he does amazing things, all the amazing things that humans were meant to do, like love each other, and he does it on our behalf. And we know it because he goes on to die in our place. And he rises again from the dead so that one day we death could be overcome, even in us. You know, how does God undo the lie? He undoes it by becoming our substitute. And there's a hint of it even here in Genesis chapter 3. You know, God, the way God will fix the problem is that he will come to earth... And he will do everything right, and he will die like someone who who is a liar, even though he's not. He'll be treated as if he was the one who introduced the lie, which means enduring all the wrath of God all at once. Um, This message about Jesus is the only thing powerful enough to break the curse of sin in us. It's the only thing that's powerful enough to fix our lame relationships. It's the only thing that's powerful enough to fix your life. Only Jesus can do it. Your resume cannot do that. Your friends cannot do that. Your family cannot do that. Your workout routine will not do that. Your significant other will not do that. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus will do that. Uh, only Jesus was publicly shamed so you wouldn't have to be. Only Jesus was disconnected from his father so you wouldn't have to be. And that's what the rest of the Bible is all about. Like, we've just introduced the whole Bible in three weeks here at RUF. Uh, It's about God guiding our world to a place where he can then enter into it and save it and and ultimately restore it to the way it was always supposed to be. Uh, The world will tell you two lies. Don't believe either of these lies. The first lie is... The world's not really sad. You just need to kind of overcome it. You know, mind over matter, that is a lie. The world is sad, and we feel it. But the second lie that the world often tells us is, you know, the world is sad, and it's just not going to ever get any better. So just make the most of it while you can. It's also a lie. The gospel, what the truth is, is this. The world is sad. Like, it's profoundly sad. If we just all shared our stories with each other tonight, we would walk out of here sad for each other. It's, you know, all kinds of things have happened to you that are not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be alienated from God. We're not supposed to have messed up relationships and be alienated from each other. And everyone in the room, you know, we all feel that. Like, we all long for more, but... The other truth is that Jesus has entered into our world. At the cross, Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. Sin's power has now been destroyed. And because of that, death is now working backwards. If, if, if and for those that will forsake the pride of running our own lives, for those of us that will allow our sin to be exposed, and cling to Jesus instead, that sadness will begin to be replaced by joy. By that everlasting joy of being with the one you were made for, like Adam and Eve were in the garden. the Bible, if you go to the end, you know, if you were to fast forward from the very first chapters of the Bible to the very last chapters of the Bible, what you would see is the end of the story. It's the story where the holy city, God's city, comes down from heaven to earth. You know, He starts with a garden, it ends with a city. And listen to what it says about that city. It says, it, uh, uh, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. You see that? He brought it back to the way it was supposed to be. It goes on to say, He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear away from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So if this was the beginning of the story, that is what what I just read is the end of the story. And the good news is you can begin to live in it today. Through Christ, we can have like real joy, real good relationships. Uh, We can love our neighbor even today. And it's only because Jesus has undone the lie. It's only because Jesus has conquered sin and evil and death. And so uh, let me close us by just praying that we would begin to live in that reality. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, you know how we have believed to the lie and how we do that every day. And you know all the ways that we're hiding from you and from each other. Uh, ways that we don't even see or we have not even acknowledged about ourselves. Uh, we thank you that though those, that's the kind of people that we are that you pursue us in love. Thank you for sending Jesus to overcome sin and death, uh, that our lives may be turned around and that our world may be turned around. And we pray that we would know some of that redemption, even here tonight, and that we would live in the goodness of the gospel uh, from here on out. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.